Ciao ragazzi and welcome to another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast told, of Calcio told like it is. I'm Frank Crivello and along with me as always, Richard Carmen. Ciao Richard. Ciao Frank. I'm excited uh, on the backs of last week's podcast and then on the backs of this one. I'm really excited. How are you this evening? I'm doing great, man. Uh, you know, man, a lot of positive buzz about uh, having Giovanni on and talking Parma last week. Um and uh, you know, to the point where I think that you mentioned that we've got a, uh, a we've got a, we've got a Lecce group uh, from the UK that's interested in joining us. Yeah. So hopefully we're going to be able to get that hooked up for everybody, and we can talk a little Lecce. Uh, we'd love to get some of these other clubs in here. I mean, I know that we've you know over the course of these last few years we've we've hit up um, uh, a number of uh, Serie A clubs. So. It's great that we're getting the chance to do this. It's great that we're getting a chance to learn a little bit about some of these other teams and the histories and the, you know, and some of the traditions that go with it. So, uh, so it's so pretty cool. Um, un- you know, unfortunately, though, uh, some games were postponed. Uh, pretty serious. What's going on on the peninsula with the uh, coronavirus outbreak? Yeah. Uh, which led to four matches in uh, northern Italy uh, getting postponed. Uh, those matches were Hellas Verona against Cagliari. Torino against Parma, Inter against Sampdoria, and then of course Atalanta against Sassuolo. Um, it's the biggest outbreak outside of uh, the Asian countries, at least that's being reported. Uh, so uh, it's it's definitely uh, worth taking the precautions and making sure. I think the worst thing you can do with a with a virus like this and with an outbreak like this, where there's still so many unknowns and still so many things that have to get. Um, you know, taken care of as far as it's concerned. You don't want to get, you know, thousands of people together in the same uh, vicinity yeah. uh, or within the same proximity uh, and then have the risk of that virus spreading to those thousands of people. Um, so uh, a, a, a smart precaution on the part of Serie A. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and, and now that, you know, some leagues like City A are starting to cancel games, it's going to start opening some eyes, really. Uh, luckily for us in the States, you know, we're, we got our own virus of the, the flu that we're dealing with now. That's probably making sure, probably uh, keeping the coronavirus away from here. But because um, I know I, our whole family has been hit with the flu here. And so it's, it's in, we got that going on over here. But yeah, when they're, when they're starting to cancel games, it's, it's for good precautions. But there's also, you know, several, several outbreaks out there. You know, they already had a couple deaths out there in Italy and as well, I think up to 100. Uh, reported um, incidences within over the weekend or something like that. So it just spread it up really quickly. So uh, good precaution by Serie A. Finally, they're doing something right on the peninsula. Yes, for sure. But uh, we mentioned one of those teams, Atalanta, uh, did not play their game against Sassuolo today. But that doesn't mean we're not going to talk about them because we uh, we have an Atalanta guest. He's the, he heads up the Las Vegas Atalanta supporters group. You can find them on Twitter at Atalanta underscore Vegas. Uh, he said, Calcio is life-giving, Forza Atalanta sempre. Uh, he's got a bunch of other teams that he supports that aren't very relevant to me. Um, but you can <laughs> find him at UBeats, U-B-E-E-T-Z-1981. And we're talking to our good friend earning his first cap, Dan Pezzotta. Ciao, Dan. Ciao, guys. Uh, honored to uh, have my first cap. Uh, I feel like uh, Pierre Luigi Golini coming in uh, after being up three nil, replacing Gigi Odenaruma against Bosnia and Herzegovina. I feel good. <laughs> welcome, yeah, we welcome. Know, 
we thought it was safe to get Golini on at that point in the game against Bosnia and Herzegovina, right? So, <laughs> so, uh, so no, good shout. Uh, you know, let's. Uh, you know, with Atalanta not having a game against uh, Sassuolo, what we are going to do is we're going to relive that outstanding uh, Champions League uh, performance from midweek. But before we jump into that and talk about that, Dan, why don't you uh, give our listeners a little bit of feedback, a little bit of background on you uh, and uh, how you became an Atalanta supporter? Because um, you've you've pretty much you pretty much came into this world an Atalanta supporter. <laughs> yeah, I did. I like to say that if I was actually born in Bergamo, because I wasn't, I was born to a Bergamasca father. I, uh, you know, if Bergassi was our president back then, I would have gotten a little kit in the mail. Uh, but uh, wasn't born in Italy. Uh, I'm, I'm a California kid. So, uh, but yeah, uh, Atalanta since birth. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's been one of those things where, you know, I still pinch myself over the last three years of seeing what's going on there because, you know, we've always been a yo-yo club. Um, have the most Serie B championships, the queen of the province. Uh, but man, what's happening within these last three years, it's just nuts. It's really, really crazy. And so I'm so happy to be able to talk about them. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to talk about them too. I know Richard is. I mean, they're probably the... They're, they're the team that I look forward to watching when I'm not watching Milan. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I couldn't be mad at Atalanta beating Milan 5-0. I, as a Milan supporter, I really couldn't be that mad because I was just watching this outstanding performance from the other team. I wasn't as disappointed as most Milan supporters were. I had more of an appreciation for what was actually happening to us. And Richard and I have a phrase. I'm sure you've heard it many, many times. We we, we say that Atalanta are doing Atalanta things. Uh, and it's become kind of, become kind of our... Uh, calling phrase when it uh, comes to Ladea. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they definitely do their, their crazy Gasparini Atalanta things, and it sure is exciting. Uh, you know, I think we've always been a club historically that's uh, played really, really well, but it, it's been something else in the Gasparini area. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's, ju- let's dive into this uh, Champions League match, because I'll tell you what, this was, uh, this was absolutely one for... Uh, uh, one for the Atalanta history books. Uh, your first Champions League knockout match. Uh, you know, after defying the odds of of going 0-3 in group play uh, and then finding a way to get seven points, uh, which would be enough to get you into second place. Um, and then when the draw came out, you know, I'd, I'd like to get your perspective as an Atalanta supporter. When the draw came out and you saw it was Valencia, when I saw it, I was like, oh, giddy up. We're going to see a bunch of goals. Um, but as an Atalanta supporter, I imagine this was a win for you from a draw perspective, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure that from a Valencia fan perspective, it, Atalanta was <laughs> was a win as well. Um, you know, with uh, with us and, and, you know, being such a small club and just coming to uh, Europe again uh, very recently, you know, we kind of we kind of have those dreams, those romantic dreams of like a big night out in Europe, you know. And so, yeah, if we drew Real Madrid, if we drew Barcelona, if we drew PSG, you know, that would be cool, too. But when this draw came out, I was like, oh, my gosh, we might we might get we might get to the quarterfinals. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> needless to say, I was very, very stoked uh, uh, to to draw Valencia, and then when you know when the game was getting closer, and I saw uh, Valencia's depleted lineup, uh, and if if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I'm uh, I'm not a pessimistic Atalanta supporter by any means, but I'm a big fan of the three three prediction. 
Um, but I actually felt like we could really win this game, and uh, they actually exceeded my expectations. I was saying that we'd win 3-1, and we won 4-1, so uh, can't complain about that result, that's for sure. And he goes with a lineup that doesn't have, you know, an out-and-out striker in this game. He didn't have, he didn't go to Zapata or Muriel to start the game. He he went with Gomez and Ilicic up front with Paslic behind him in his in his 3-4-1-2. Um, Galinian goal, back three of Toloi, uh, Palomino, and it, it was uh, James City, but he ends up getting injured in warm-up, so Mattia Caldara gets called in. Um, and then uh, your wing-backs, of course, um, Hatabor and Gozins, and then uh, that midfield of Diron and Freuler. And then, uh, of course, like I said, Pasolic uh, in support of Gomez and Ilicic. Uh, did it surprise you that Gasparini didn't play one of his strikers from the off in this setup, or uh, did this seem okay to you? No, I was actually I was actually happy about it. Um, when I did my predicted line. I wanted to see Duvan out for a couple of reasons. Number one, Duvan still isn't as fit as he could be, and uh, we've seen that. And, you know, when he when he was injured there, when he had that muscle strain and that uh, friendly, of course, we love it when our star striker gets inju- injured in a friendly. Um, you, you could tell he, he still hasn't fully come back yet. Um, and in, in that, that Roma game, I thought that when Duvan went out, we actually looked more dangerous. And with looking at the depleted, uh, the lineup that uh, Valencia was facing... Um, they actually have two pretty strong center backs um, there in uh, Mangala and uh, Diakabi. And I felt like it would probably be a lot more confusing and difficult for that Valencia back line to deal with Papu and Ilicic and Pasalic and everybody who runs into the box all the way from Toloi, you know, how Gasparini does it. Uh, I, I like to coin our center backs, box to box center backs. Um, <laughs> and I felt like it would, it would be much more confusing to Valencia. So I was actually pleased um, to see Duva not in the lineup because I felt like it was actually going to be uh, better for us against Valencia. You know, Richard, um, Valencia's lineup, as far as it's concerned, it looks like they, when we talked about this, and obviously they were a little bit depleted going in, but they had the two-man center midfield of Danny Parejo, who is a string puller for them when they're in possession. Uh, And then they go with Jeffrey Condogbia, who starts, which to me was an interesting one as someone that has Serie A experience, but also a player that's, obviously going to be in there to protect the back line, cut some of the passing lanes and cut some of the dangerous things that Atalanta are going to attempt to do. Um, Those pieces of of Valencia's lineup did give me some concern. What did you think of how Valencia came out with their lineup? I I, I thought the same way as you were, because I thought they were going to try to, you know, protect that back line, but also, you know, have guys and guys who were able to pull the strings and set up passes up on the front and, this is. I thought it was going to be a wide open game, especially when I saw Valencia's lineup as it was. I was like, okay, this they came out to play. It's going to be punch for punch for punch in this game, um, and it, it sort of looked like that, at least from the visuals, not necessarily from the scoreline. Uh, but it, it certainly the tactics at least uh, had their chance. I mean, if, if their chances fell their way, it, it would have been a lot different scoreline. Uh, so I think what the plan was, you know, by Valencia worked in that respect but over obviously the scoreline says a different story so um it kind of it kind of happened how the way the lineup looked is kind of how it i kind of thought it was going to play out a little bit minus the score um and for me the the, the one that i thought was the solaire starting but yeah he is he's turned up some decent games for valencia but i thought Cherdyshev would have played from the start in this but other than yeah. that there wasn't yeah. a whole lot there wasn't a whole lot to really grouch about as far as Valencia's lineup was concerned. So 
Getting into the game, the fun would begin in the 16th minute. Hans Hattebor getting in on a cross um, from uh, it was from Papu Gomez. Uh, it was uh, boy, I'll tell you what. The first 15 minutes of the game, he was he was definitely pulling the strings and making something happen. But uh, oh. you know, Dan Matteo Benetti made the comments about uh, Atalanta's wingbacks and how they're so dangerous in those crossing situations, getting in the box and making the runs that some of the forward players aren't making. And, uh, you know, case in point, Hattabor's run to put Atalanta in front. The the wingbacks for, for Gasparini's system are so key uh, to our system. And, you know, last year it was uh, Timothy Castagna and Hans Hattabor scoring a bunch. And, and, you know, this year it's Robin Gosens. Uh, very few teams, I, I think even in Europe, will you see so many wing-back to wing-back crosses because they're always doing those uh, kind of inverted runs into the back post. Um, and it makes it so hard for the defense to uh, to pick up, especially when you're going to a, a four-man back. Uh, if you have three center backs, it's a little bit easier for you with the wing-back dropping to protect. But against four in the back, uh, doing really, really good. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I can't believe that he got a brace. But, uh, yeah, Hans Hatzibor and, and Robin Gosens and Timothy Castagna this year again, well, fantastic for Atalanta. Even the announcer was like, "My goodness, look at Hatabor. He's up there playing a striker's role uh, on that goal because yeah. he was he was ahead of the strikers on, uh, when he when he took that pass there." So, a uh, wonderful play by Hatabor. Yep. Uh, Ilicic with a cracking goal uh, to make it two 0 at halftime, yeah. uh, and, and really put Valencia under pressure. Uh, I mean, if you know, in in. Uh, if, if if I'm to put together a top ten bargain buys of all you know of the last ten years in Serie A, if if Josip if Ilicic is not at the top of that list, then somebody else had to have done a heck of a lot more and had to have been a whole whole lot more impressive. You know, people ask me a lot about uh, my favorite Atalanta players or the greatest Atalanta players I've ever seen, and uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say Josip Ilicic is my favorite. Whatever you know, Papu Gomez and Glenn Stromberg have a lot to say for that. But I have to say, Joseph Ilicic is to me the the greatest player that I've seen play in black and blue. He uh, is, uh, I mean, I think the best is Mercurial. I love it when people call him Mercurial, yeah. and just his style, he, his 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 futsal kind of uh, style, the way he he does those little cut-ins and everything. Uh, but when Joseph Ilicic is on, oh, he's unstoppable. He's absolutely unstoppable. And I didn't even think that he could score a goal with his right foot and that second goal was from outside of the box with his right foot so the man can do it all he's on fire this year yeah excellent goal and it puts Atalanta in a big time spot of comfort here Richard 2-0 up at halftime and they're just flying and I mean Richard for you was there a little bit of feeling of okay this is exciting this is awesome but at the same time why aren't Atalanta winning by more at this point yeah, and so my worry would be that you know Gasparini would be content with this lead and then really trying to uh, so, uh, pull back on the reins a little bit and try to focus defensively. And I worry if that happened, that would have let Valencia into the game and give them more opportunities to score more goals. Because, like you said, Valencia had opportunities, but um, Atal- Atalanta missed their opportunities as well. Pasalic in the first few minutes of the game had a glorious opportunity missed it, and they missed a couple other ones as well. So, my, yeah, that was my big fear in halftime is that, yeah, 2 nothing lead, I'm excited. Keep it going. Just keep scoring goals like you do in City A, and things will be okay. If you let up the let up the attack, you're gonna let the opposition into the game, and then things go haywire from there. So, sure. Um, 
Remo Froilo with a worldie in the 57th minute to make it three yeah. nil, uh, an event at least put the first game, uh, you know, beyond the reach of Valencia. Uh, this combination of Remo Froiler and Martin Deron uh, in midfield, uh, Dan, they really, I mean, for this system to work, there's a lot of responsibility with those two guys. Uh, you know, they've got to help out the back three and they've got to provide some protection for the back three. But at the same time, there's pockets for them to 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 cheat forward and, and get these chances. And I going into this game, I thought there was a good chance that either Froiler or Deron was going to score, and I I bet on Deron. Uh, but since I bet on Deron, it's only natural that Froiler scored. Um, uh, so, but anyway, um, talk about these two midfielders because I think that they go very much overlooked and underappreciated when you talk about this Atalanta setup. Absolutely. I mean, uh, if you look at them. Uh, as a unit, they're in perfect balance because you know uh, Martin Darun is is the the hard tackling. He wins back a lot of balls. Um, he can he can put uh, other uh, attackers off. He drops back into into center back sometimes. Uh, he's sometimes the last man back there when our when our, our center backs go forward, um, and he makes really simple simple passes. Uh, every once in a while, he he, he chips in with a goal, uh, but. Martin Darun is the one who cleans up. You know, he's our destroyer there. And then Remo Freuler is a little bit more offensive. Um, but he did a fantastic job against Roma with Lorenzo Pellegrini marking him. And then a fantastic job together with Martin Darun on, on uh, Danny Parejo. And like you said earlier, Danny Parejo is the guy who pulls the strings uh, for Valencia. And so I think one of the keys to us dominating uh, this game, uh, you know, dominating, quote unquote, depending on how you look at the game, was really that we were able to most of the time shut down Danny Parejo because of those two. Uh, nothing happens with this team without those two in there. Indeed. Um, indeed. And Richard uh, Hattabor would get a second, a piece of uh, little piece of uh, just winning the ball in the middle third of the field, and uh, ball, and then the ball gets played through. Pasolic gets it and just frees up Hattabor, and he's just uh, he's just going straight to goal, uh, beating Dominic and making it 4-0 at that point. And uh, Atalanta's in cruise control, four nil, and maybe one foot into the quarterfinals, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that late goal kind of uh, maybe put a put that put the percentage a little bit downwards. But yeah, I mean, what a performance by them! Four goals right there. When I saw that fourth goal going, I was like, "Are you kidding me? Am I watching this correctly? Is this Champions League? What's going on here?" Because <laughs> uh, they're doing the same thing they do in Serie A and, and Champions League, which is great to see. Uh, so yeah. Uh, I think it's it's fair to say they they firmly or, or they ever so slightly got a foot into the quarterfinals. Obviously, anything can happen in the second legs. We know this. Frank has Milanese's, uh, but still, uh, with a performance like that, if they can just continue playing offensively as they do, I think uh, it's almost a shoe in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Cherdyshev would come on and score to make it four one, um, and that's how the game would end. So. <laughs> You do concede the away goal here, uh, Dan. Um, obviously, you would have loved to have gone to the Mestalla uh, on March 10th with a 4-0 advantage, but it is 4-1. Does this create a little bit of concern uh, heading in? I mean, you know, we've seen crazy things happen in second legs, which is which is the scariest thing. Um, and the one point the one point of worry is when you look at Atalanta away in the Champions League so far this season they did beat they did beat Shakhtar 
um, on the last match day. So they have proven that they can go away from home and get it done. Uh, but at the same time, you're still remi- those those other away matches at Man City at Dinamo Zagreb are still a little fresh, and those are pretty lopsided. Uh, so, mm. just kind of your your feeling and your thought heading into this uh, heading into this second leg, uh, level of confidence that your team's going to be in the last eight. Uh, I think I tweeted it when we were up four 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 nothing. I said only Atalanta can make a four nil lead uh, nervy, you know? Because I yeah, of course <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely concerned. I mean, come on, we're up, uh, we're up four nil, and we we pull out Duvan and and uh, pull out Caldara uh, and put in Duvan. Uh, you know, so of course I'm 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 a little bit concerned. Do you think that Gasparini got greedy with that substitution, um, or you know, would you have preferred? Would you have preferred? Hey, let's let's protect the clean sheet and not give him an away goal heading back to Spain, or? Are you okay, or is that just Gasparini's DNA? Is that okay? I've got four. I'm going to figure out how to get six. <laughs> well, I, it, it's funny because I actually don't think that that's why he did it. It's it's funny like that because obviously when it happened, I was like, "What is this guy doing? Like, this is crazy." But then when you think about it, Jim City gets injured uh, in the warm up, so Caldara gets on. Caldara is still rehabbing, so he's not to full fitness, um, and so we don't have any other center backs on the bench. Uh, right, we have a we have a Timothy Castagna as our wing back on the bench, um, and when we are able to have Martin Darun, uh, you know, play that that third center back, uh, so to speak, and then you know when with Gasparini's system, defense starts from the front, so with some pressure legs from Duvan to be able to pressure the ball carriers, um, you know, uh, you know, I can't remember if it was already four one at the time, but uh, it it it, uh, it really makes you laugh. And it makes you smile, but it, like when I saw that happening, I was flipping out for a second. Then I realized, oh, we don't have any other center backs on the bench, so you know, this, this might not be that big of a deal. <laughs> okay, Richard, four-one uh, uh, level of confidence. Uh, if you want to say scale of one to ten, percentage, whatever you want to do, level of confidence that Atalanta, uh, you know, go to the Mestalla, see this through that. You know, the win at Shakhtar pr- proves that they can get what they need away. Um, your thoughts? I, I I think they're going through. I think they're going to the quarterfinals. I think that they'll, largely because I think they're going to go play playing looking for goals, and I think that they'll still find a goal or two uh, in Spain. Yeah, my, my confidence percentage is probably like an 85%, mostly because I the, why, the reason why I give – I don't give him, you know, more than that is because with Gasparini, I assume he's going to go there to attack, and if he does, they're going to be in a good position. However, I'm not positive that Gasparini is going to do that, and if and if he doesn't do that, then it, it you know, it leaves opportunity for Valencia to get back into this. Uh, all it takes is one goal early on, and then it puts everybody on nerves. So, as long as he can stick to his guns and keep going for the offensive, um, I think you know Atalanta will be fine, and I'm I'm pretty confident they're going to go to quarterfinals. But we know these crazy Champions League nights, Mestalla is a daunting place to play. Uh, it, it was back in the day, and it still is now. Um, anything could happen, but I'm going to say it's 85% chance that they're going to move on to the quarterfinals. Dan, are you okay with that? Yeah, I, I think 85% uh, is good for me, too. Uh, I, I think if we get the first goal, that's going to be the key. If we get that away goal, um, yeah, yeah. you know, I think it's it's a slam dunk. Um, but Valencia gets that first goal, especially if it's early, even with our penchant for comebacks. That's going to be a tough one. Yeah, because that Mestalla is a cauldron. And then, you know, as as good as we are, 
we're in the Champions League in the knockout stages. This is the first time we were doing that, and that that that's gonna that's gonna be in their, their heads. So we need to get that first goal. We need to come out hard. I'm I'm ninety. I I'm I'm there. I'm in that ninety percent range. I think of of Atalanta's chances of going through. So uh, so hope to do it. And I mean, I'll, I'll I'll leave you with this, Dan. Just you know, and I don't want to get you terribly excited here, but I do want to I do want to point this out because I pointed this out to Richard in the past. There's always a team, always that gets to the last four of the Champions League that nobody's expecting to get there. Okay, yeah. always Ajax last year, Roma two years ago, uh, Richard's uh, Schalke yeah. did it one year. Uh, you know, there's always that team that just pops up in the last four that nobody expected to get there. It's not always the the ro- you know the royalty of European football making up the semifinals. Somebody sneaks in there, and you know, depending on who they draw, if they can get through this and and knock out Valencia, depending on who they draw in the quarterfinals, why can't it be them, right? Absolutely. Uh, we'll, we'll be the anti-Mario Bellatelli instead of why always me, it's why not us, right? <laughs> so uh, I, like I would hope that that, that that would be the case. Anti- I'm, writing, I'm writing this down. <laughs> I don't think I've ever written down something from a guest so, room. I mean, you have I, not. You have not. I think, I think, I think. <laughs> why that's great. Good. not so, uh, doing Doing some big things on my first cap. I'm feeling it. Okay, so you got to get a uh, so so that's what you got to start doing is you got to start making you know you make a royal blue t shirt, you get a royal blue t shirt and in black lettering, why not us? There get you go. <laughs> get that out to your other uh, to your other uh, uh, Atalanta Vegas supporters and get them out to other Atalanta supporters and, and why not? Why not us? Why not Atalanta? So, and you know, you're paying rent at our stadium too. So well while well, you're getting there, so you're you're letting some of that Milan. Uh, Champions well, we're not League using DNA. It. We're, we're not yeah. using it. <laughs> yeah, since we're not using it, let some of that Milan, Milan, some of that Milan Champions League DNA rub off on you while you're there. So <laughs> I had to get that in. I had to get it in at some stage, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so Atalanta beating Valencia by four goals to one, and uh, uh, what a night that was! What an occasion that was! And what a performance from Ladea. And let's uh, take. Take it from here and talk about uh, a little bit of history of Atalanta and obviously recent history. Okay. Uh, Richard and I will uh, do a little Q&A with you here, Dan, and uh, looking forward to hearing your answers on uh, what you have to say about your club. And I just am going to start, you know, from the from the very beginning. Your, your dad is uh, uh, is from Bergamo. And uh, take us through, you know, maybe when you were really cognizant of, of Atalanta, your first years being a fan, because, I mean, recent history has been amazing. And like you said, you're pinching yourself, but there's been some suffering along the way. So maybe share a little bit about that and where Atalanta has been and where they are now to where they are now. Yeah, there's been a lot of suffering. It's a uh, it's beautiful suffering, though. It's funny because, uh, you know. When you when you follow a small club, you don't get to see them, you know, on TV uh, at all. I mean, what's happened within the last three or four years in the United States has been great uh, to get that coverage. But uh, I remember my dad had a subscription to the local paper, the Leco de Bergamo, um, or he'd go down to uh, to the the local newsstand and get the Gazette de los Sport on Mondays, and he would uh, he would read uh, the game recaps to me. And uh, one thing that I always remember that he said was, well, you know what? We lost, but we deserve to win. And, uh, you know, maybe that was his slant on uh, on Atalanta. 
But, uh, you know, historically, we've always been a club who likes to play well, um, you know, not to the level of offense as Gasparini. But, you know, we, we're the queen of the province, Regina della Provinciale. And, uh, you know, we, we're a yo-yo team. Um, but Atalanta is very interesting because, you know, nothing I don't I don't know if there's any other team that is so representative of, of its city. Um, as Atalanta, and you know, th- there's been a lot said about how small Bergamo is and how many fans uh, that we took to the San Siro. Uh, you know, there was all over social media all those pictures of uh, you know businesses being closed. We had, we had that uh, that dad write the excuse note that the, his son wasn't going to school. Uh, so you know, uh, Bergamo is Atalanta, and Atalanta is Bergamo. You know, um, uh, you know, Bergamo is a very blue collar town. Um, you know, along with uh, our neighbors Brescia, you know, Bergamo and Brescia are the are the are the uh, resources that help build Milan. Uh, you know, with raw materials and with uh, for Bergamo workers. Um, so uh, Atalanta is the only way that can tear down Milan. So that's uh, that's really really good. Uh, but yeah, like like I said, it's it's you know Atalanta is a crazy love, and you know with uh, that that devastate. And other things you know, also feel like it's the well period um, with Bergasi. I think we had one of the top prizes, um, in in Serie A last year, and you know we we have a fantastic youth system. And it's funny that you mentioned Ajax because. Our, System is very much uh, um, kind of modeled after the Ajax system. You know, uh, you know, there's lots of, of articles out there about how uh, it doesn't even matter how how the the players play. They like interview the young kids after they play the game. Like, what do you think you did good? You know, what do you think you could do better? Um, so, you know, from the from the bottom up, this is a club that's run well um, and it's representative of its city, and uh, that's why I think, think that there's. Uh, it's such a, a great because do we do we play really really well? Really um, and then you look at this recent crop of players like, come on, how can you not love Papu Gomez? I mean, the man the man exactly. is so, exactly. so adorable, uh, especially on social media. So I think that uh, it's come full circle. 112 years, you know, all we have is one Coppa Italia. We almost got one last year. Um, but even if we don't wish, you know, yes, it's it's it's. You know, I, I can't say enough things uh, about this club, and I'm just I'm on a little like we're big all of a sudden, you know, because it was like this this well kept secret. But uh, I can't stop talking uh, about this club that I love, and I'm so glad that uh, now everybody else gets to see it too. Yeah, uh, Atalanta's really been big over the last, uh, at least in in, in Syria and Syria terms, over the last several, for sure, in the last three seasons. Everyone, everyone in Italy knows about them, and it's about time everyone on the European stage, you know, gets to know them as well. Um, you mentioned, uh, and, and by the way, you've been breaking, you've been breaking up in and out. So hopefully, you can hear this question here. Um, you mentioned some of the, you know, your favorite players of Atalanta's history. You know, you mentioned Papa Gomez, Ilicic, Glenn Stromberg. Um, obviously, some other great names like Gianpaolo Bellini and and Walter Bonacina and Cristiano Doni. Who who's your favorite player that you you know you you've basically grew up as, you know a Bergamo fan or Atalanta fan? Who's your favorite player uh, throughout the years? Uh, definitely the first guy that always came to my mind was um, was Glenn Stromberg. You know he was our captain in the eighties. Uh, you know he had that long hair. He was a tall Swede. Yeah. Uh, there's a great there's a great there's a great video of him coming out. Uh, I think it, I think it was at the Atleti di Azzurri, or it might be at the, the San Paolo, where he runs out in a track jacket next to Diego Maradona, and uh, you know that is forever like ingrained in my head. You know to have Diego Maradona and to have Glenn Stromberg. 
to me, two of the greats um, next to each other. And these awesome 80s tracksuits, which, uh, which uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can't go wrong with that. Um, there was a – it's funny. As a, for, I know you two are a Milanisti. It, there's, there's always that one jersey that you get that you're like, did, did I really buy this jersey? But uh, funnily enough, in 2002, my dad went to bed. I was like, oh, get me, get me the new jersey. And I said, he said, who do you want? Who do you want on the back of the jersey? And I said, well, I'm liking the look of this Ricardo Montolivo kid. <laughs> so oh, I, actually, I actually have a Ricardo Montolivo. Oh, that many people knew he played for uh, Atalanta. Last, last time. Exactly. I mean, he was at the Atalanta Youth and everything. So uh, it, it, it was, it's pretty funny. Um, but another guy who I really, really wish had, had done big things was Domenico Morfeo. A uh, really, really great number ten. He was kind of, uh, kind of Papua-esque, I guess. He was kind of a shorter guy. Uh, really great skills. Um, so he was amazing. He was, in, he was in the uh, mid '90s. Um, yeah, and then of course there's so many different uh, great players uh, from the past that I never got to see. Guys like Domeghini, who had the famous hat trick in the Coppa Italia win in '63, um, and then all the people who came through uh, the youth system. That that we rel- never really got to see in the first team as well. Um, you know, but my favorite, uh, I guess, from the early '90s too, was uh, Claudio Canija and Evair when we had uh, when we had those two South Americans, um, and then of course Paulo Montero in the '90s as well. Uh, actually, came into Atalanta first before going to Juve, and I was a big fan yep. of his. Yep, uh, solid, rock solid defender. I remember him, uh, you know, from that uh, from that time as well. So. You're in the Lombardy region. Um, how intense are the rivalries with the Milan clubs for Atalanta? Oh, uh, well, uh, if you just look at my family, <laughs> you have. Uh, I think I was I was telling uh, Richard uh, before we started recording that uh, half my family are Milanisti and with a sprinkling of Interisti in it. So uh, you know, as as much as uh, you know. Bergamo is small and only has 120,000 people in the city. The province is big; it has over a million people. And uh, if you're not from the city, you know there's a lot of people over there who who are Milan and Inter and even Juve fans. So yeah, it's it's a big rivalry. And of course, we're we're the little brother, um, you know, and they're they're the big brothers. And it's always good to get one over on your big brothers. Um, so I think that probably if you ask most Atalantini, the bigger rivalry is in fact with Milan. Probably because of the Gemellaggio that they have with Brescia, uh, but the rivalry is big, and you know it's it just feels good to to finally after you know all that history to be able to to put together a pretty decent side and do what we did against uh, your beloved Milan last time around. We're not gonna make we're not gonna make fun of you for that. <laughs> we're not gonna. We're not gonna be. We're not. We're not bitter about that at all. I. I, I said at the very beginning. I said I. You know. I. I couldn't even be mad at my team. <laughs> it's one of those where I just. I, Atalanta was so fun to watch that I couldn't be mad at my own team for how they played. You just applaud because they did the same thing to Parma yeah. the week before, and you're like, they made Parma look worse. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. So, okay. So uh, I want to talk about. Yeah. I, I thought the. the- Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna. I was just gonna mention the the most hilarious part of that was when Papu and perfect segue probably into your question <laughs> when he nutmegged Andrea Conti for that first goal. I was like, well, how the times have changed, you know? Yeah, with our, yeah, exactly. our ex player and with Papu nutmegging for that goal. That was that was the <laughs> that was the perfect way to start out that day. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, what a player Papu Gomez was on that day. I mean, and just in general for you and. 
uh, you know, while he he probably will never be able to catch Cristiano, Cristiano Doni uh, in terms of goals for the club, but he already has uh, Papu Gomez. That is has the assist all time assist lead for the for, for the club, and I think by some good margin as well. So, how much has Papu Gomez meant to you, to you and and for Atalanta uh, having him for so long, never leaving you guys, and and just being constantly the uh, the talisman for you guys and the string puller and setting up plays left and right. I mean, how special has he been for you guys uh, throughout his career? Oh my gosh! Oh, like you know, this is coming straight from my heart because I, I feel like you know, Papu it just embodies this this club, and uh, you know, there's of course been lots of of times where he's been linked to to other clubs, to to bigger clubs, whether it's in Italy or internationally. Um, but he he's come out and said that he would rather you know not win everything, but but uh, you know be at Atalanta than to win uh, at, at a bigger club because winning whatever it is that they win at, at Atalanta is more. Um, and you know that that that, that just feels good. Um, and, and and he's like a fine wine. He's just getting better with age. I feel like um, you know and 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 with him and and Ilicic, uh, together, it, it's really a beautiful thing. And yeah, you know they're they're getting they're both I think thirty two. So how much longer can can this be? So I am just I'm just riding this wave right now, guys. I'm telling you. And uh, Papu Gomez, Papu Gomez is just a beautiful man, and we love him so much. It's funny because Frank and I both were talking about how um, when Ilicic, you know, Ilicic and Gomez are on the same team, we're like, why aren't they? Why isn't Gasparini putting them both on the pitch at the same time? Because they could do some magical things together. And they, he, Gasparini held back for the longest time, and finally he put them together. Now you see what the heck's blossomed from that. So uh, great stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Dan, uh, one of the things that maybe our more casual listeners and casual City F fans don't realize or appreciate is that Atalanta have the best youth system in Italy. Uh, per Wikipedia, uh, the sixth best youth system in Europe after Real Madrid, Barcelona, and then three French teams. Um, and they measure this based on how many players they've been able to produce to go on and play top flight football in Europe. Um, you know, so speak about the youth system uh, and and why it's so important, Atalanta. You, you made that parallel uh, connection with Ajax where – you know, they're obviously world-renowned for bringing up young players. Um, but, you know, talk about how important that is for the, you know, the future of Atalanta. And, you know, do you know of a player or two that might be coming through that system that we better keep an eye on? Yeah, so it, it's a tough one because I think, um, you know, if you look at this Atalanta team right now, um, it is not fully representative of, of what's happening uh, in the Primavera squad. Um, I think we actually also have the least number of Italians uh, that have played uh, this year uh, in Serie A, which is very interesting for us. Um, but what the youth system has started doing, and you can see it with uh, with Dejan Kulusevsky, uh, with Musa Barrow, is it actually provides us a platform to make some money, right? Uh, you know, we have a 22,000-seater stadium. Uh, sh- sure, it's packed out a lot, but, but we're not going to get a ton of money from that. Obviously, it helps that we're in the Champions League or the Europa League, but we're not always in that. So one of the big things with the, with the youth system has really just been a, a way for us to generate the income. Uh, to keep going. Um, so that's really important. And, you know, in the past, it ha- has been a lot of great young Italian talent, um, you know, but uh, now also the scouting has been really, really good um, through- 
throughout the world. Obviously, Musa Perro coming from the Gambia. Um, we had uh, Dejan Kulisevsky from Sweden. Um, so when you go and look at the Primavera squad, you know, within the past, you probably see almost 100% Italian, maybe 100% Bergamaschi, but now we have a very international um, group. But that being said, uh, the one player that I'm really excited about uh, within the Primavera is an Italian, and, and I think his his name is Alessandro Cortinovis, and he is uh, number 10. He plays 10 for our Primavera. Uh, he's got great hair. He looks a little bit like Sideshow Bob, at least the David Luiz curls. Um, <laughs> and he has a running style that kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Sandro Tonali. And I think he's 19 years old. And we have yet to see him on the first team, but he is... Uh, uh, a world beater, uh, I think, for the future. So remember that name. Yeah, I'm with you on Alessandro Cortanova. Certainly, there's some uh, there's some promise to that young man. I think another guy that I am intrigued by is Ahmad Traore. He's getting some senior call-ups here with Atalanta. Um, you know, six goals uh, with the Primavera through 15 games. Uh, so. Pacey winger. Uh, he's got five assists also uh, with the Primavera this season, too. So uh, 17-year-old Ivorian international, another guy that I think uh, uh, people might be wanting to get themselves on the lookout for. But, yeah, I, I like the uh, Cortanova shot for sure. So uh, Atalanta youth system continuing to crank it out. Yeah, and I mean, somebody's got to make up for the fact that we cranked out Simone Zaza anyway, so uh, hopefully Cortinovis <laughs> is going to be the guy to do it. <laughs> no, no, no. Simone doesn't represent what we do when we attack. I'm the guy. Completely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. We don't, you we win don't some, take, you lose some, right? We don't, we don't take penalties like that, really, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we, we, we were linked. The, the funny thing about Simone Zaza was that we, we were definitely linked um, uh, to him. I think it was it was over the summer, and he actually chose to go to uh, to Torino instead of to Atalanta. I'm sure it was a money thing. And then when we laid that smack down on them, I was, I, I was just dying. I was like, oh, Simone Zaza didn't want to come home. He wanted to go make a little <laughs> bit more money at Torino. And that's what happened. <laughs> All right, one last question uh, for you, Dan, about Atalanta, and then we'll move on. Um, wh- why the hell have you not have they not put up a statue for uh, Gasparini yet? <laughs> <laughs> That's coming. That's going to be next. It's it's going to be you know you know that that statue that's pretty famous. I think it's a whether it's in Disneyland or Disney World of Walt Disney with Mickey. Yeah, we're going to have Gasparini as Walt and uh, Papu Gomez as Mickey, and uh, <laughs> that's going to go right in front of the right in front of the stadium. Uh, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna come pretty soon. Well, as long as it's not the same guy who made the uh, the Cristiano Ronaldo statue. Oh God! Uh, because oh, we, <laughs> we need some talent. <laughs> <laughs> for sure for sure actually i do have one more question uh the stadium um you know obviously you're playing your champions league games at, at the san Siro. are what what are the are, are there plans to you know renovate and and get the stadium to be a little bit more uefa friendly uh for champions League? i know they've played europa league games there uh or are they they standing pat with that and if they qualify for the champions league they're okay with playing their home matches at san Siro. what's the uh what's the uh 
future hold as far as uh, stadiums should they continue in European competition? Well, if we if we uh, qualify for the Champions League uh, next year, uh, whether it's because we come in fourth or because we win, <laughs> uh, we should be playing them at the Gavis Stadium. Um, so we redid the Curva Nord um, this past summer. Um, the the two main uh, tribunals are are absolutely fine. It's going to be the Curva Sud uh, this summer that's going to be demolished and put up. And so uh, I believe that we should be good to go to play Champions League or European football um, in Bergamo uh, next season. Excellent stuff. That would be good to uh, that would be good to see. Uh, so uh, looking forward to uh, Atalanta continuing to do Atalanta things and uh, go to Ad City. I sit down on Twitter or Instagram with your reactions to what you heard in our interview here with Dan. And let's talk about what went down in City this weekend. Okay, the fun actually started on Friday, and at uh, you know, as of Friday, we had no idea that games were going to get postponed, so we only have six games to go through. And I don't know about you, Richard, but in those six games, I still found a way to carve out a top five uh, for goals of the week. I did too. I did too. Surprisingly, we might end up having the same five. <laughs> so, <laughs> there weren't many to choose from. <laughs> yeah, there weren't many to choose from, but uh, I'm pretty happy with my five. But nonetheless, uh, things got started. Uh, between Brescia and Napoli. Napoli really been on a, a charge of late here under Reno Gattuso. Uh, Brescia really just holding on for dear life, and it would be Brescia taking the lead. Uh, John Chancellor uh, on a headed goal on a set piece from Sandro Tonali. Uh, his price tag just goes up a couple more million with that. Uh, and then in the 49th minute, an incident involving a, a handball um, with Mateju that actually wasn't initially caught by the referee, it was actually kind of funny because I was watching this game and I saw Dries Mertens, you know, calm all of the Napoli guys down and say, guys, this was obvious. He missed it, but there's no way VAR misses this. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he said, guys, let's just chill. Let, let's let VAR do their thing. We're getting this penalty. We're good. And that's what happened. Uh, the right, It was the right call. Lorenzo Insigne would equalize on the penalty in the 49th minute. And then a goal of the week candidate in the 54th, Fabian Ruiz from Giovanni Di Lorenzo, sealing the three points uh, for the Parc de Nope. Uh, a uh, performance, Napoli had 73% of the possession in this game. Equal on shots, though. Brescia did look relatively dangerous on the break in this one, but it would be Napoli going ahead and getting the three points. Uh, further putting uh, Brescia in trouble. Uh, Saturday morning, Bologna and Udinese got together, um, and it would be Udinese that got on the score sheet first. Uh, set piece situation, Rodrigo de Paul's corner finding Stefano Okaka's head, and that made it 1-0 for the Friuli. Uh, and uh, it was pretty much a game of Bologna pressing and trying to get the equalizer. They had 64% possession in the second half, outshot Udinese 10-3, to and it would be the goal from Rodrigo Palacio that would get the point for Bologna in the 91st minute uh, to, win, to, uh, to level that at 1-1. Spall and Juventus, uh, he's done it again. Cristiano Ronaldo for the 11th straight game in Serie A has a goal uh, fed through by Juan Cuadrado in the 39th minute. Actually had a goal earlier than this that was called, called, for, uh, called back for offside. It was the right call. Uh, but nonetheless, they go up one goal to nil. Goal of the week candidate in the 60th minute, Aaron Ramsey, uh, with a delicate finish, uh, making it 2-0. Uh, 
but in the 67th minute, a foul in the penalty area that was reviewed by VAR got it correct. Maybe the VAR is not one-sided after all. Uh, but Spall would get a penalty. It would be Andrea Patania. Pies for everybody. Uh, and uh, former Atalanta man, by the way, uh, making it, getting him within 2-1, but that's as close as Spall would get. Uh, Fiorentina and Milan, this one had controversy all over the place, not just uh, against Milan, but also against Fiorentina. Um, a Zlatan Ibrahimovic goal would get called back for a handball via by a VAR review. Now, in this situation, Ibrahimovic's arm was in. Um, it was not out. Richard, I have credited whenever they have called a handball with the arm out. This time the arm was in, pre- kind of incidental. I really didn't see anything. Um, and this is not my Milan bias, but I didn't really see anything that should have not for this not to have been a goal. And I'm gonna be, uh, I'm gonna go on the other side now. Um, so I don't think that the, the call was on that play where his hand was to his body because I do not believe that was a handball. I believe, honestly, that came off of his chest, really close to his arm, and, and it shouldn't have been called. I think if you let if the play continues on, uh, just before Zlatan scores, the ball hits his hand, he hits it down on the ground, or hits the ball down to the ground off his arm. Um, it looked blatant to me, and and then he scored a goal. So I thought that that was a handball. It, they never really confirmed it on 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 TV what what VAR was looking for exactly exactly. Um, if if they're talking about the one that his arm was right by his side, I agree that's a, that's a wrong call. But I, if you look at the play as the play goes on further, I think he does get his hand on it just before he scores, and so I'm fine with that play being uh, disallowed because I I think VAR should have got that one. Uh, the one that was just before he scored, and you have to go back in the replay and look at it, but his arm is out when he tries to uh, get the ball down on the ground just before he kicks it, and to me, that looked blatant. Yeah. That's probably the only explanation that could be offered for why that goal wasn't allowed, but Milan would take the lead, and as a matter of fact, Gianluigi Donnarumma had to leave the game in the 52nd minute, so we got to see Osmir Begovic in a Milan uh, goalkeeper kit for the first time. Uh, and then four minutes after that, Ante Rebic would score to make it 1-0 to Milan. Just six minutes later, uh, Dalbert gets into a uh, – commits a foul, gets a yellow card. They go back, and they rule that uh, it was a professional foul last man, uh, and Dalbert's car is, card is changed. He is sent off. I thought this one was very, very ticky-tack, in my opinion. I thought that this yeah. was it, bordering on harsh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you hate to see red, red in that kind of situation, but um, uh, yeah, it's just uh, it, it's uh, referee called it, and he was the last man. Uh, you know, he prefer, I guess he was the last man there for Fiorentina, and he I guess prevent he, the referee deemed that he you know prohibited Ibrahimovic from going. So I guess by rules' sake, you have to give him a red card. But yeah, I agree with that ticky tack and very harsh red. Yep. Um, so uh, Milan have a man advantage, but it does not. <laughs> appear to be that way with the way that uh, Fiorentina makes some changes. Iacchini actually gets positive uh, and puts Cutrone on for Castrovilli, uh, puts some pressure on Milan, and ultimately that pressure might have paid off in the around the 85th minute. It is an Eric Pulgar penalty, but this is the incident that's getting talked about. It is a 1v1 challenge between Romagnoli and Cutrone in the penalty area where it looks like it's shoulder to shoulder. It looks like Romagnoli has a foot on the ball. And then Cutrone goes to ground. Referee awards a penalty. VAR doesn't take a serious check into this. They look at it, but they confirm the penalty uh, that Pulgar would convert. Uh, uh, but Milan uh, dropped the points here as a result. You know, 
somewhat as a result of this penalty, but largely because they didn't go and try to kill the game off when they had a man up. Uh, but anyway, uh, this is not a penalty. <sighs> I might have to disagree again. See, I, I, this is why I'm going to disagree. I, watching, the play, watching the play, I, I thought he got a toe on it, and so he got the ball first, and it shouldn't have been a penalty. But the, the more I saw the replays, the less I was convinced that he touched it because the angle, every, every angle they looked at, the camera just happened to get, you know, get behind a player or behind a post, and you just missed it where he, you know, to see definitively that he touched it or not. And so I could see it was borderline and it was a 50-50 call, and I was fine with the call. I didn't like it at all. Um, but like I said, in, in real time, I thought it was no penalty for sure. And then the more replays I saw, the less I was convinced that I was, you know, definitely agreeing with that. And, and I ended up being, I thought, a 50-50 call. And I could see both ways why, you know, why it wasn't a penalty and why it was. Um, it, it was so, it was just like a tip of his toe or something like that touched it. I don't, it wasn't like a, you know, definitive, like, slide tackle and clear it out like a Nesta or something like that. So I was, I was iffy on that. I know one of the few Milan fans that it was against both of these calls, I guess, or, you know, fine with both these calls, but um, I can see why people were so up in arms about it and, and, you know, Romagnoli was there. He was on. He was on the man. So, I can see why you see it. Why you see it, and the rest of the guys see it. Um, that it shouldn't have been a penalty. I, the issue that I had, and I, the only way I could see this being a penalty is at the very end of the challenge. Romagnoli just does extend his arm out a little bit. Okay. Where it looks like he's pushing him off, and maybe right. the vantage point that Calvarese has is, all right, he's he's shoving him. I'm giving a penalty. Right. And VAR's vantage point from whatever cameras are available to them just agrees with what the original ruling was. So right. um, maybe that's what he was looking at. Maybe he didn't even look at the foot, the ball touching or anything. Maybe he was just looking for that shove. Right, right. So nonetheless, it ended up being a a 1 1 draw. Uh, you know, two points lost for Milan, uh, but a, a precious point for Fiorentina as they try to. You know, just make sure they keep enough separation from the bottom three. So, um, so that's how it ends there. Uh, if you uh, woke up early on Sunday morning, you were entertained. Genoa and Lazio at the Marassi. Unfortunately, unlike last weekend, uh, where if you woke up early for the uh, Udinese Hellas Verona game, you just should have went back to bed. Uh, this one promised some uh, fireworks, and it started with Adam Marusic scoring in the second minute on an assist from Felipe Caicedo. It would be one nil at halftime. Now, I did not uh, uh, watch the first half. I was asleep. I woke up, and I decided to wake up in the second half, and I think that's when Chiro Immobile realized I was watching. <laughs> he got the text. Yes, he, he, he got the message. They said, hey, Frank's watching, and he picked you for Capo Caninieri. Get your ass out there and score one. And that's what he did. 51st minute, 2-0 uh, to Lazio. Um, he actually almost had a great goal uh, yeah. prior to that, a volley that he uh, I think he just missed. So um, on a, that was a peach of a ball. I was that Luis Alberto play that ball? I think it was. I thought it was too. Yeah. What a ball. Uh, but anyway, uh, two nil to Lazio, but a goal of the week candidate in the 57th minute from Francesco Casata, uh, top of the D and, uh, puts that in the upper corner, uh, to make it two one. another goal of the week candidate in the 71st minute, Danilo, Danilo Cataldi with a free kick in the 71st to, uh, make it three, one to Lazio. And then uh, a uh, foul in the penalty area uh, that was not called initially, but then reviewed by VAR. It was a handball. 
Uh, and uh, Domenico Crescito converts the penalty to make it 3-2. Uh, frantic finish to this game where Gen- Genoa was desperate to try to get another goal and get the point. Lazio all- ends up fighting them off, winning 3-2 and staying a point behind Juventus for first. And then the only other game that took place on Sunday, again with the uh, coronavirus issue, many games were, four games were canceled. Roma hosted Lecce and demolished them 4-0. Uh, Chenji Zunder, Henrik Mkhitaryan, Aiden Dzeko, and Alexander Kolarov all getting on the score sheet in that one. Mkhitaryan in particular really good in that game. Uh, so Lazio's not going away, Richard. No, it's good. I'm I'm glad they're making it tough for uh, you know Juventus and also you know for Inter. Um, I love seeing this man. I, I I'm glad it's not a one horse race. And uh, Lazio, they're fun to watch. They scored a boatload of goals. Immobile is just so fun to watch. The whole team. I mean, Immobile, uh, Milinkovic Savic, and um, and Luis Alberto. They're just so fun to watch. They're both probably you know the top of the game again. And uh, Luis Alberto is having is one of the best assist makers in the in the in Europe. So this is just fun to watch Lazio at the moment, and I'm glad that they're they're going toe to toe with Juventus. Yep, for sure. Um, what did you make of them today, though? They didn't have a Cherby. You know, they were missing some pieces. Lazzari didn't start, but they still. I mean, they they go to a Genoa team that's got their backs to the wall and they're relatively desperate. So three points. I mean, take them any. Sometimes when you get into situations like that, you just take them any way you can get them, right? Yeah, and I, I think even uh, Jerry Mancini was saying how he was a little worried about this game just because this could be this, this game is very much you know uh, looked like it had the makings of a of a trap game for for Lazio. Uh, yeah, Genoa are not doing great this season, but um, at the Marassi they play be- they play better than they do on the road, um, and they're hungry. They don't want to be in the relegation zone, right? They want to be they want to be safe. Uh, and so they'll do anything they can. They'll be they're a, a wounded dog, really. And so anytime you play a team like that, as anybody can attest to playing Spal and and, and Lecce this year, um, it's never easy. When it, even though you think it should be, so uh, I'm not too surprised that Lazio had a difficult difficult one in this. And um, but they came out victors uh, was ultimately the most important thing. And they were they found they're resourceful, right? Like Juventus, <laughs> they're resourceful. Hmm. They found ways to win. So um, glad to see that. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, Luis Alberto put on a passing clinic in this game. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just was was outstanding. But special, uh, special player. You know, Genoa now it just uh, you know it keeps getting worse, and there's not a you know Santori obviously would have a game in hand at uh, San Siro against Inter, so it's not like you know we'd have to think that maybe Santori lose that game, and it's still one point from safety uh, for Genoa. But I think they're aided by the fact that Lecce got trounced by Roma. How important! Was this for Roma to not only win comfortably but also get a clean sheet? This is huge for them because they have been spiraling under un- uncontrol- uncontrollable, you know, since the start of the year, um, and they just haven't looked themselves. They look a shell of themselves, and today they kind of this weekend they came out and looked kind of like Roma of old. Um, Chenji's Under and Mikatarian put on a clinic with each other, just passing back and forth, just you know, ripping apart the legend defense. And Edin Dzeko was all over the place as well. So, I mean, heck, Kolarov even scored a goal from open play. So, um, it was just really fun to watch. I mean, Under and Mikatarian were really like tearing them up. I love the passing between the between both of them, um, and it was really important for the the clean sheet, as you mentioned, because it gives them a bit of confidence because they've been a leaky faucet, you know, since the turn of the calendar, and they've been giving up goals nonstop. I don't remember the last time they had a clean sheet to be honest with you. 
Uh, you probably have to go back in the, some late part of 2019. So um, this does confidence for the for their, themselves as a team. They able to score four goals, get a win, but also defensively getting a shutout. It's you know Paul Lopez is one of the better keepers in the league, and he's been struggling as of late too. So that's got to give him a boost of confidence. You know when they beat Ghent on Thursday and beat him only by a goal to nil. Um, yeah, yeah. It almost felt like it was okay. You wanna you wanna have a bigger advantage heading back to Belgium, but at the same time, it was with the defensive frailties that were suddenly starting to turn up with this team. It was important to just get a clean sheet. And I watched yeah. that game. Ghent was putting them under and, yeah. and had some chances. And Lopez had to come up with some saves. And defensively, they had to be sharp. We so, thought it would be tough with Ghent. We thought, yeah. They've been playing really well this year. So Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so uh, you know, I think it's you know vital. And I think that that helped them make the progression here where they can now get back to playing attacking football and then have that – you know, defensive stability back there because it's just against the Lecce team that let's let's face it, they were scoring goals. Uh yeah. you know, in, in games prior to this and it just didn't uh it didn't come off for them. So we have to give some credit to this back line and you know, Bruno Perez played well. Um it's not something that we say very often, but it looks like he's <laughs> he or we've said very often in the past about him, but he's come in and he's come into this and then, you know, the Smalling and Mancini combination looks like they got back on track. So Definitely, uh, uh, definitely an important win and a vital win for uh, for Roma. So, Juventus, um, just find a way to win. Really is. I mean, I, the 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 longer we get into this, the more I don't think Saudi ball is going to happen with this team. And it's just it's it's astonishing to me. It's like uh, it almost feels like he's the manager just in title. I mean, because by now you would have thought we would have seen this revolutionary football that we saw at Napoli and then Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. It, it surprised me. And I think there was, I think I even saw a quote today and I could be wrong. It said, I think it was sorry saying someone asked him about sorry ball. And he's like, oh, what's the sorry ball? I don't know what this is. Um, yeah. The team is not, they're, they're playing like you would think Juventus would play, especially under Allegri being resourceful, finding ways to win, not this beautiful passing game that we've, we've grown accustomed to um, by Maurizio Sarri's team. So, it's strange to me that nothing. It, it still hasn't had that you know evolution yet. Uh, maybe he's adapted and he's trying to adapt himself to the team as opposed to the team to him, um, which I guess is smart in a way because you know they were doing really good things before. And we'll see when it comes to Champions League uh, if uh, what this team looks like. Right? Uh, we saw they they were good under Allegri. Uh, the hopes were you know at least for the neutrals and I'm sure maybe the Juventus fans that. The Saudi ball would bring a little bit more goals, a little bit more flair to this team and make them look even that much more better. We haven't seen that yet. We don't know if it'll happen. Um, but uh, I guess the the main thing is that they're they're continuing to win. Uh, they're finding ways to uh, stay at the top of the table no matter what, uh, even when they have challenges like they did against Spa this week this weekend. So, um, yeah, it's a strange one for sure. It's uh, a little bit of Twilight Zone or something. I don't know. Never thought this would happen with a, a sorry managed team, but hey, they're winning, so I guess they can't complain too much, can they? No, they can't. They can't at all. What'd you make of Dybala in the false nine? I liked it. I liked it a lot. Uh, he was really inserting himself into the game. Um, there's a point. There's a play early in the game where I thought he would have scored. A, uh, it would have been a goal of the week had he scored it. He was like, oh yeah, making these moves in a goal and then put out a left footed shot and just missed by. I think it's a post actually. Um, so yeah, I liked it. Uh, I really did. I don't know about you. What'd you make of that? I think it's a work in progress, but there were good signs like what you mentioned. Uh, you know, 
I think he still likes to come out of any kind of those high positions and come back and get the ball. And he comes, he, he came back and got the ball in weird areas. Um, the offside goal with Ronaldo. I mean, he's wide on the right-hand side when he got it and, and crossed the ball in as, as one example, um, you know, false nine, you want maybe trying to hang around in high positions, make some runs, try to unlock the back four, you know, when you look at how Dries Mertens did it at Napoli, and that's, you know, what Saudi's going for. You know, can Dybala do the same things that Mertens did? Um, so it's – if he's going to do that, then other players need to figure out how to take advantage of that and start running into the spaces that he's leaving uh, and getting out in front of the ball. And who, who's supposed to do that? You know, because Ronaldo's making whatever runs he wants. Um you know, Dybala runs the risk of duplicating what Cuadrado wants to do as far as where he makes his moves and where he moves off the ball. Uh, and, you know, it's there, there could be some confusion. Does a midfielder come out of there and advance forward? Is that Aaron Ramsey's job all of a sudden, yeah. you know, to, to, to find that space? So uh, it's an interesting dynamic that I think still needs a little bit of work, but it had it had its moments. You know, I think I'll leave it at that. Who would have thought so. Aaron Ramsey would have been the the, the prototypical uh, sorry regista or sorry midfielder as opposed to uh, Matuidi or, or someone else you know, in that position? Yeah, he looked good. I mean, he thought. I mean, you know, goal notwithstanding. I mean, he it was a brilliant yeah. finish. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he 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 was comfortable. Um, you know, he had a couple of other shots outside of that. He was dangerous. I mean, Spall were cutting him down a little bit and. Um, you know, but I thought that he did some, I thought that he did some decent things in there. Um, he didn't really put his team in a whole lot of trouble. Um, so, you know, let's see if, uh, it's something that's going to be a continuation. Uh, but nonetheless, good start. Um, you know, at least with Ramsey starting, Dybala is a false nine. Some of these changes looked a little bit more dynamic, but we also can take it with a grain of salt. They did play Spall. So, true. Um, you know, so let's not get, let's not get overly carried away. Um, you know, and then, and then Milan, I mean, listen, and I've been very outspoken about this on Twitter and I've gotten into fights with some people, but score more goals. Stop making the referee an important component of the game or a, a factor in the game. You know what I mean? You yeah. go a man up, and you've got a half an hour to be a man up. How are you not figuring out how to get that second goal and kill the game off? Fiorentina looked more dangerous. Yeah, they did by far, by far. It wasn't even close. And 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 that's you know is that the growing pains of young players out there? That mean that shouldn't be. You got a man up. You should be salivating at the prospect of being able to get another goal. And I don't know if it was the possibility that and we got to brace ourselves for this. Begovic is in goal. You know the, what happened with Gabia? Do you know what happened with Gabia? Because he came off and and came on Muzaki, and I think that's really where it really turned there. I think he got oh. hurt. Okay, okay. And you know, the only reason why I think that Milan situated themselves like that with a man up is because okay, you've got Begovic in goal, who has not played for Milan. This is his first time out there. Yeah, and. You have Musacchio back in there who can be a bull in a china shop, as we've as we've said in the past. <laughs> um, so the priority becomes, okay, we're a goal ahead. We don't have our ideal guys to to defend and protect. And 
they have some dangerous pieces going the other way if we try to get a little bit too greedy here. You know, that's the only reason why you would probably want to back off a little bit and rely on your defending and rely on wearing them out and maybe hitting them on the break. But I'm of the belief when you're a man up, the ball is at your feet, you you go and you find a second goal and you kill the game off and you never let a situation like what happened with that penalty uh, dictate how this game goes and dictate how the points get uh, distributed after the game. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, if you have you have the ability to, to control the control the victory, control the the, the scoreline, do it. Don't don't leave it up to chance with a referee or, or an odd play here or there uh, to you know to cancel out your efforts. They need more goals, and that's that's really been Milan's problem all year long. Is getting enough goals. They have glimpses here and there where they score a lot, uh, score in bunches, uh, but for the most part, it's been it's been tight affairs, um, heart attack and vine. You know. Leaving us all at the edge of our seats uh, for the duration of the game, and never it's never an easy victory for them. So, uh, yeah, you know, score more goals. I think that'll solve a lot more issues instead of instead of relying on um, the referees to uh, bail us out at times or whatever. But I, I thought Fiorentina fully deserved a draw, uh, especially the way they played in that you know being down a man. Um, they looked like we said more dangerous. They had a bunch of opportunities. Begovic had some big saves. Nearly had a penalty save. Um, yeah, it was just uh, they need to do better. Yep, for sure. Um, and then obviously four games postponed, um, you know, as a result of uh, the outbreak of the coronavirus hitting uh, the peninsula, as we've been talking about. And I do want to read this piece real quick from Football Italia because it would impact next week's games. Uh, Prime Minister of Italy, Giuseppe Conte, confirmed we will evaluate postponing all of next week's matches due to the coronavirus outbreak. The rapid wow. spread of cases diagnosed in northern Italy has seen several regions essentially go on lockdown, shutting all sporting events, public spaces, and schools until midnight on March 1st. Uh, there were four Serie A matches postponed on Sunday, Inter Sampdoria, Atalanta Sassuolo, Verona Cagliari, and Torino Parma. Conte was on RAI this evening, asked if the next round of Serie A fixtures could be called off entirely. He said, quote, I don't think that in just one week we'd be able to slow down the contagion so much that we could resume sporting events, was the reply. Quote, uh, he goes further, we are constantly monitoring the situation and we'll evaluate, we'll see the evolution of the contagion and evaluate postponing all next week's matches, end quote. Mm. This would not only include Serie A, but also Serie B, Serie C, the amateur leagues, and potentially the Europa League, too, as Inter are host due to host Ludo Gretz at San Siro on Thursday. Uh, it is increasingly likely that game will now be played behind closed doors. So that's doesn't where... Also, doesn't also Barcelona come to Napoli? Is it this week also? Uh, yeah, that's that's at the San Paolo here at midweek. So I we'll read see that what... uh, Barcelona players would be tested when they got off the plane to see if they had fevers and stuff like that, and then they would determine then if the game would be played or not. Right. Um, and their Derby d'Italia is next weekend too, so that's a huge game uh, with with uh, Scudetto implications that could be postponed. Yep. Um, so uh, a lot to unravel as far as all of that is concerned. Um, you know, and a lot of decisions that are going to have to be made, uh, decisions that are, you know, certainly far beyond my imagination. I imagine far beyond yours. Uh, yeah. So, you oh, know, yeah. um, you know, I, I say err on this, you know, if I say err on the side of caution, if it means the, the overall health and well-being of people and players and uh, spectators and so on and so forth, and it's good, the games have got to be postponed just as a precaution to make sure that this stuff doesn't, uh, you know, to continue to spread, then so be it. 
then uh, yeah, then that's yeah. what they do. I mean, we can we can we can postpone our podcast for a week if we have to. So exactly. we've done it before. So, exactly. um, you know, so uh, so our thoughts are definitely with everybody uh, in Italy um, that, uh, you know, if uh, you are having if they are having symptoms that they're getting treated, um, that they're being taken care of and that the uh, due diligence is uh uh, it being done to, you know, not only take care of those that have been effective, but affected, uh, but to also contain the virus as best they can. Yep, I agree with that hundred percent. I have no way to segue to goals of the week after that, so let's just <laughs> let's just talk about goals of the week. Uh, would you like me to go first? Go ahead. All right, my honorable mentions. Uh, honorable mention is going to go to um, Okaka's goal from DePaul. I really like the in swinger by DePaul that Okaka got on the end of with a header. Um, I do like Ronaldo's goal, his assist from uh, Cuadrado. Uh, that that is also an honorable mention for me. Didn't crack my top five, so my top five are uh, number five, Aaron Ramsey's nice little cheeky uh, chip chip shot over the keeper uh, that came in number five for me. Number four, Immobile's goal. Um, I thought that was a really nice play, uh, especially the the pass that that got him open. Uh, number three is the first goal of that match is Marusic. Uh, I really like to finish on that goal. This is a really great play overall by Lazio. Uh, coming in number two, I'm sticking with that game. Casata, uh, his his strike from distance, uh, top corner, was wonderfully done. It should have been my number one, except in that Napoli match, uh, Fabian with a fantastic left-footed strike uh, to the top corner that made my number one there. Fabian with from Napoli, so. We're pretty damn close then. So are we? Uh, yeah, I am going. Uh, I actually I don't have any honorable mentions. Uh, I am going with the Okaka header as number five. Um, it was number same, five actually. <laughs> oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. For the same reasons, um, the ball in from DePaul was just perfect. Yeah. Uh, so so well done there. Uh, number four for me, Aaron Ramsey's uh, cheeky little chip there to uh, uh, ultimately be the match winner for Juve. Uh, number three for me is Casata's uh, upper 90 goal for Genoa. Uh, the Cataldi free kick is number two for me. And then number one, I am with you, Fabian Ruiz, uh, with that curler to win the match for Napoli over Brescia. So uh, winners and losers this week, um, you know, out of six games, kind of hard to pick. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we had Dan on earlier and uh, – you know he had to he had to get onto some commitments so he couldn't stick around for the rest of it. But once again, uh, if you guys want to um, give the give uh, give a follow, go to at Atalanta underscore Vegas. Uh, so uh, do check the do check out the uh, Las Vegas Atalanta Supporters Club there and give them a follow. Um, but Atalanta is my winner. Uh, first Champions League game our first Champions League knockout game, and they passed with flying colors, taking a 4-1 lead to the Mestalla on March 10th. Uh, so that is the winner for me. Uh, the loser for me is... I don't have a loser. I really can't look at anybody. Okay. And, okay. Yeah, I, I don't. I just, I mean, I guess we can just keep, continue to put salt on Brescia and Spall, but they both had difficult matches. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then uh, Udinese and Bologna. I mean, I really can't make Bologna a loser. Udinese's been playing a little bit better, and you know, and uh, you know, Milan dropped points over some pretty rough circumstances, and yeah, I can't, I can't do it. Okay. No loser, no losers for me this week. Everybody, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Pies for everybody. Participation medals <laughs> and pies for everybody. 
Um, yeah, my, my winners of the week, I'm going to go with Roma. After a, a spiraling out of control, they finally maybe ride the ship this week, you know, a win, again, a win against Ghent and then um, in the Europa League and then uh, winning 4 nothing against Lecce, uh, you know, two shutouts this week, uh, scoring goals now in bunches, at least in this one game. Um, I like the way Under and Mkhitaryan played together uh, with Jekyll up top, so... Um, there are my winners of the week and losers. Yeah, I, you know, I'm kind of feeling, I'm kind of feeling the flavor there with you. And uh, I really don't have a loser this week. Um, Italians did well in Europe, and you know, the, all the games are fairly difficult. No one really performed poorly, I would say. Um, yeah, Lecce's score didn't do that great, but whatever. I'm not going to give them a loser of the week. So I'm mm-hmm. with you. No loser. All right, no winners, no, lo- no all right, We got winners, but no losers. <laughs> Uh, your winners and losers, your goals of the week at City. I sit down on Twitter and Instagram. Let us know if we got the list right or uh, if we got something wrong or if we left something out. Uh, but let's finish this off by previewing Europe. All right, let's see if we can get this uh, run of good juju here with uh, Italian teams in Europe uh, after last week, getting a sweep. Yeah. Uh, you know, three three matches, three wins, and we've got four matches uh, this week, and we'll start with the Champions League. We touched on it a little bit at the San Paolo on Tuesday, February 25th. Napoli will play host to Barcelona. Barcelona uh, will arrive at the airport in Naples. They will be subjected to some medical tests to make sure nobody's coming in with fevers. Um, very, very tricky set of circumstances here. Um, a Barcelona team that... Uh, Lionel Messi embarrassed a bunch of Real Betis defenders over the weekend. Um, I felt so. They, 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 they have, you know, when you think about it, they have kids, those defenders, don't they? <laughs> and what are their kids thinking? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. They probably love <laughs> Messi anyway. So <laughs> They probably do. They said, if you're going to get, Daddy, if you're going to get nutmegged by anybody, you got nutmegged by Messi, so we're good. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably what they say. So, But n- nonetheless, did you see that goal, the, the open it against Betis? Oh my good, goodness. Good a... lord. Um well that's what uh that's what uh, the combination of Manolas and Maximovic get to look forward to trying to stop uh, <laughs> out of the San Paulo. But if Napoli does have anything going for them, Barcelona has their issues in away matches in the Champions League, especially in the knockout stages. And you wonder if this plus the combination of this plus the you know, everything that the protocols they're gonna have to go through, it's not gonna be a typical away fixture for Barcelona going in. That said, Napoli have made some incredible strides under Gattuso. I'd love to see them pull a shock here. But Setien has come into this Barcelona team. You know him well because you're a Batiste supporter when it comes to uh, La Liga. Um, you know, he seems like he's the guy that can steer this Barcelona ship at the moment. I'm going to go, if Napoli get a score draw out of this, it's, a, it's, it's an accomplishment. Um, and that's what I'll say will happen. I'm going to go one-one. Yeah, that's a good shout. Um, another thing Napoli has going for them is, uh, you know, Carlo Ancelotti and the champions. Oh wait, they don't have Carlo Ancelotti anymore. Oh wait, never mind. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm curious to see what Gattuso's team, a Gattuso-led team in Champions League, will do. Uh, you would expect it to be a tight, di- disciplined defensive team. Uh, trying to mitigate some of the uh, attacking prowess of Barcelona, in particular Messi uh, and his cohorts there. I expect it to be low scoring. I honestly do. I think I think they're going to Napoli are going to try to make it difficult for Barcelona. I expect Barcelona to have majority of the possession in this one, as you would imagine. Um, 
you know, the team is going to have to have a really great defensive game, especially Maksimovic and, and Manolas. Um, you're saying score draw. Uh, I mean, if it's a 1-1, I can see 1-1. If it, if it gets more than, more than a goal, I don't see Napoli score more than a goal, honestly. So, I mean, let's hope it's a 1-1. one nothing for Napoli being great, too. But 1-1, uh, I think, is a, is a good, good score line. Yep. Uh, Wednesday, Leon uh, will host Juventus um, in, uh, in France. Uh, Leon have kind of been up and down a little bit here. Uh, I don't know if Memphis Depay is going to be fit, uh, but they have found some other players. Dembele has been playing well for them uh, in particular. Uh, but, and they've got some midfielders that can you know, present a problem or two. Um, you know, when I look at this Juve team, when they travel, uh, you know, Leon probably was a favorable draw for them. I don't know if they are going to win here at Leon. I think a score draw is going to happen here too. And I think it's going to be in the nature of one, one. And I don't think Juve is going to be particularly, particularly bothered by that because they'll have the confidence that they can go back to the J and beat Leon on the second leg. So I'm going to go score draw here. One, one. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, Juve is going to have to make sure they take care of uh, Thiago Mendes, Dembele, and Depay if he plays. Um, Leon can be dangerous on their day. And uh, yeah, you say score draw. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's be score draw. May you may get a late winner from Ronaldo uh, just because he gets up for these big games. He always yep. does. You know, you you cannot deny him when he wants something like that. Um, and so, you know what? I'm gonna go two one two way Juve on the road. I'm gonna say Ronaldo. Uh, gets Juve a victory on the road in this one. I'm looking at Lyon's last matches. They did win at Metz 2-0 uh, on Friday. Uh, tied Strasbourg, beat Marseille in the Coupe de France. Uh, did lose at PSG 4-2. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, some indifferent results for them here down the stretch. A little bit of an indifferent form from them. But uh, nonetheless, they've got the attacking power to present oh, certainly. it. You know, to certainly ask a question or two. So we'll see. Um, we'll see how that uh, presents itself. Uh, all right. Uh, Europa League, second leg. Um, Roma will travel to Ghent. Inter are hosting Ludogrets. We talked about the very likelihood that that Inter-Ludogrets game is going to be behind closed doors. Uh, Inter caught me by surprise here. I thought that this was – I thought they were going to go to Bulgaria and lose because it was just not a competition they'd have a whole lot of interest in. But they win 2-0. So they've yeah. got two away goals, a huge advantage. They'll go through. I think this is going to be a uh, this is going to be a game management kind of thing. The weirdness of closed doors is I think that that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, and I'm going to give this a one nil win for Inter. I mean, let's make it two nil for Inter. So they'll win four nil on aggregate. Yeah, and they're just going to they're going to sleepwalk their way through it a little bit, but they're going to get another win. And I don't think they're going to be particularly bothered by by how it goes. So I'll go with Inter winning. Uh, I'll go with Roma getting a draw at Ghent, which will be enough for them to go through. Yeah, I think uh, behind, playing behind closed doors for Inter, I think we'll actually probably do them more better than more, make them do, <laughs> play better uh, behind closed doors than, than they would otherwise. You know, they play with their B lineup. Uh, we kind of knew that would happen because there were, you know, less, less emphasis on Europa League. Uh, but they came back, came out with victors, like you said, 2 nothing. So I, th- I agree with you. I think they're going to continue playing with the B lineup uh, and probably have another another solid win. I don't I don't imagine Ludogratz will be a, a big challenge for them. Um, so I can see them moving on. And then, uh, yeah, Roma. 
Uh, they should be good enough to get a draw. It's going to be difficult for sure. We talked about how, how well Ghent has been playing uh, in, in the Belgian league. So, um, But a score draw on the road, I, I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, I think they certainly can do it. And with the last couple games that they've had, maybe Roma are back in the upswing and Roma need, maybe, Roma need this kind of confidence uh, going forward. And hopefully if they can get a win here, uh, uh, it would be a nice, nice boost of confidence for them. But a score draw, I'm going to go with you 1-1 there. Okay. Sounds good to me. So... That's where we're at on the uh, landscape of things with uh, the uh, European predictions. Uh, what are your thoughts? I'm, I'm too chicken shit to, to make any bold predictions on any of these games. <laughs> I think I picked three draws this week. So, I just copy you, so hey. <laughs> go to at City I Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram with your thoughts. And with that, we're putting a bow on this edition of City I Sit Down. Uh, anything to plug, Richard? Yeah, on the Serie A Sit Down YouTube page, uh, we just did a piece on uh, Atalanta and their victory over Valencia 4-1 in Champions League. Give that a shout. Uh, a lot of people are saying that maybe they're the Ajax of this season. Uh, so give it a give it a follow, give it a watch. Uh, uh, we we talk about that on there. And then other than that, you can find me anywhere on social media at r underscore k h a r m a n. Excellent. You can find me at ftc underscore 21 over on twitter city i sit down we have our own channel on apple podcasts and soundcloud you can also find us on stitcher spotify just about anywhere podcasts can be found uh, i will echo richard's comments about the youtube page check it out we keep putting more stuff on there uh city i sit down on the youtube page social media at city i sit down on twitter on instagram we're also on facebook uh, check us out in any of those places. Drop likes, subscribe, follow, comment, uh, anything you wish. Uh, we, we're all ears and we're uh, always interested in hearing how we can make the uh, City I Sit Down podcast better. Um, one last uh, well wish and prayer for everyone in Italy uh, as they work to contain the coronavirus that has hit the country and has uh, caused an outbreak. We do hope that uh, things can get resolved quickly, that uh, people affected can get the appropriate treatments, and that uh, we can uh, maybe avoid any postponements, although uh, with the uh, stuff that Giuseppe Conte, or uh, the Italian prime minister, is coming out with, it's not particularly optimistic. So, Richard, hopefully we're going to do a podcast next week. Yeah, hopefully hopefully we do. Uh, And then... um one last quick shout out we actually reached the 2500 mark on on twitter so uh thank you to all our listeners and followers we really appreciate all the following here over the last you know four years four seasons here so thank you to all the followers 2500 wow who are these people i only have 925 the rest are my my mother (laughs) (laughs) that's what it is Uh, well you know you know she's creating all these different aliases right (laughs) that's right she might have to. She might have to use one one day if you ever if you ever shame her. So, <laughs> so anyway, all right. Well, we 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 appreciate all of the support and we appreciate uh, all of the listenership. And uh, you know, as long as you guys are going to keep listening, we're going to keep doing this. So, um, you know. So again, uh, thoughts to everyone in Italy. Hopefully, uh, things get uh, you know taken care of cleanly and uh, uh, the outbreak doesn't uh, get too widespread. So. Uh, you know, for Richard, I'm Frank. Thank you, as always, for listening. And last, last but not least, uh, our, our thanks to Dan from Atalanta Vegas for uh, coming in and talking some Atalanta with us. Some excellent stuff there. Uh, some excellent information there as well. Uh, but um, that's a wrap. And again, for Richard, I'm Frank. 
and thank you for listening. And as always, make sure you're telling your paisans about us. Ciao.